If you've got a Bible, I hope you do. Uh, I'm going to be taking you to four different passages this morning as I want us to take a few minutes today to look at the four commissions of Jesus. Now, we're going to begin in Matthew chapter 28, one of the uh, most well-known passages about such a thing, but we'll also be visiting Luke chapter 24, John chapter 20, and Acts chapter 1. Just this past week, there was a, uh, a survey released every, uh, every other year. Uh, there's a, a statistical survey done uh, on the citizens of the United States of America. It's called the General Social Survey. Uh, you can look it up. It, it includes uh, a multi-hundred page uh, document about all sorts of different things about us. Uh, but there was a, a particular part of the religious uh, survey that stood out to many of us when the survey was released. Uh, On the good side and on the plus side, when it comes to being an evangelical, uh, which can be very broadly defined, but for the purposes of a survey like this, is people who hold beliefs that are generally like ours, that believe that a person needs to be converted, that uh, left to our own devices, uh, we're dead in our sins, and, and we are bound for judgment, and we need a conversion, we need for Christ to intervene in our life in order for us to find forgiveness, grace, and eternal life in Christ. Uh, The number of evangelicals in the United States of America has basically held steady for the last few years. uh, There's been a couple of spikes upward or downward, but in general, uh, talking about statistical trends, we've held pretty steady at about 24, 23, 24% of the population of the U.S., But there was an alarming part of this particular survey uh, that that drives me and should drive all of us to show an urgency about the commissions that Jesus gives to us. You've heard me speak with some frequency about this category of people uh, that are both in our community and in our nation and in the world today uh, that we refer to as the nuns. Now, this is not the ladies in black dresses, uh, uh, not that kind of nun, but the, uh, the people who have no religious affiliation. They are the nuns, statistically. If if, uh, many of your neighbors, if you ask them, you know, well, what kind of religion are you? They'll say, oh, well, I'm Christian or Buddhist or Jewish, or uh, they'll say something. But there is a growing group of people within our culture that when you say to them, well, what kind of religious person are you? They will say, none. Like, I, I, don't, I, I don't have any religion whatsoever. Uh, that particular group of people has, sto- has slowly and steadily been increasing to the point that today, They are the same number in the United States as evangelicals. There is the same amount of people in our our culture now that say they have no religious affiliation whatsoever as there are people just like you and me who would say, no, Jesus is really important. He's a really big deal. He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. And without Him, we die and we suffer an eternal death. And so… This is, we have moved way past the tipping point as to whether or not we can be urgent about the gospel getting to every person. Uh, and, and so, in this, in this last message as your senior pastor, but, you know, who knows, maybe it's not my last ever message to you, I'll take an invitation to come back. I, I just simply want to reiterate, remind, drive home, press, emphasize that this is not just a statistic that is far removed from us. This is a statistic that is your next-door neighbor. This is a statistic that is maybe your grandkid. 
This is a statistic that maybe is your cousin or your best friend or the people that you worked with or that you do work with now. This is the person who's down the hallway at the apartment complex or across the street in your neighborhood or in the next cubicle over or is sitting in the desk next to your kid in high school or middle school. That, again, this morning when they woke up, they didn't ask the question, are we going to church, or are we going to the beach, or are we going to go to the mall, or are we going to go visit grandma? When they were deciding what they were going to do today, church was not even on the list of options. It wasn't even in their frame of reference. And this is why Jesus, in the very first century, looks around at his immediate disciples, the apostles and the others that were following him, and in the middle of the Roman Empire, one of the worst places on the face of the planet and within the history of the world for Christians to live, he says, and now to all of you I am commissioning you to take this good news of who I am and what I have done to all of the people who are of every type of belief system and non-belief system so that they might have life. And he says this in four different places after his uh, resurrection. The first we find in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. Many of you uh, might be able to even recite it from memory, where he says here, Jesus came near and he said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you, and remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. In this first commission, I, I want to just highlight what I think is the primary uh, commission, the primary action that he gives, and that is make disciples. You and I have got to constantly fight against the temptation that we would just be religious consumers uh, and of, of goods and services offered by church campuses. But we move from religious programming to be lifestyle disciple makers. This is what we're here for. Uh, as I have said in, uh, in other occasions, uh, the church is not here for you. You are the church here to make disciples of all people. Now, programming is the path of least resistance for all of us. And in fact, programmatic growth is oftentimes the last vestige of ministries that have become sterile when we say, well, we just need more people. If we just got more people here, then that would make us feel better, that would make us give us, uh, kind of give a sense or maybe even a facade that there's growth going on. But growing programs is not anything that Jesus asks us to do. Rather, what he says is go and make disciples of all nations. And he uses a particular Greek word there that it doesn't just mean nation states. It doesn't just mean go to the Ukraine or go to Bolivia or go to… It, that word actually means people groups. Make disciples in every single people group that is in existence. And there are still hundreds, if not thousands, of people groups that don't have a single Christian in them. Uh, just recently, I heard uh, the general secretary of the, of the organization I'm going to go and be a part of, the Baptist World Alliance, that he quoted the statistic that currently, uh, among the world's population, that 31% of the world's population lives within a people group where less than 5% of that people group are Christians. 
So there's a huge field before us of people who are not yet disciples of Jesus. And our task is to go and help people get introduced to who He is. And one of the great blessings that I've had over the last few years is watching so many of you do this work. Everything from those, those men and women and those uh, young adults that go to Palm Shores Behavioral Center in order to teach the Bible, uh, to middle school kids and elementary school kids and teenagers that are in a, in a residential center because of all sorts of trouble in their lives, to those of you who have worked with our children's ministry in order to introduce the principles of the gospel and the scripture to little impressionable minds that they're not going to get in anywhere else, they come from unstable homes at times, to those of you who have been willing to work with our student ministry, investing copious amounts of time in teenagers that are always not as thankful for that huge amount of investment that you make in them. But down the road, one day when they're adults and they've got their own kids, they'll remember men and women like you who are willing to invest in their lives and help them to become disciples of Jesus. I've watched it as many of you have invested in, in your life groups and, and in senior adult ministries to help people that are far from Jesus, far from an understanding of who He is, or maybe were very, very religious but had never actually had a personal encounter with Jesus, draw near to Him so that they could put their faith in Him. That's what this whole thing is about. Jesus said, get out into the world, into the highways and the byways, the neighborhood where you live, and the countries where you can travel to, everywhere from here to there and everywhere, and make disciples. The second commission that we find from Jesus is located in Luke chapter 24, and that is that He commissions us to witness to the truth. He tells us that it is not just enough to go out, and, and we're not just about strong-arm tactics, but rather we actually carry the truth that is compelling and persuasive on its own. Here in Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 46, reading through 48, Jesus is walking along with them, and, and, and He is now risen, and it says, He said to these uh, disciples, this is what is written. The Messiah would suffer and rise from the dead the third day, and repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in His name to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And look, I'm sending you what my Father promised as you, say, as you stay in the city until you are empowered from on high. Now, this is the place where we move away from just opinion sharing to actually talking about the gospel. Uh, it, the old sayings are so true. Uh, opinions are like belly buttons. Everybody's got one, and most of them are fuzzy. You know, you've heard that before. Uh, opinions are easy uh, because uh, opinion sharing is, it, it becomes just kind of a rhetorical battle. If I can say my opinion louder, if I can be more persuasive, if I can be funnier, if I can be smarter, th then I can win the discussion. But you and I as Christians are not called into the opinion business. We're called into the truth business. Uh, Jesus says to them that I want you to go and I want you to share the truth. I want you to share what you have been a witness of. You have seen the Messiah. 
You have watched him suffer. You know that he was dead. You are aware that he rose from the third day, and you are going to proclaim his name to all the nations. You're witnesses of these things. You're going to proclaim that there is repentance is necessary for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus said you'll be the witnesses of these things. Uh, There are a lot of things that we can talk about as human beings. The things that are important to you are the things that you will talk about, whether it's your kids, your grandkids, your job, your, uh, your hobbies, uh, the possessions of your life. Uh, those are the things that we talk about. It, this is a place where we have to test our hearts. What is it that I find myself discussing the most? What is it I talk about the most? And, and when I begin to list those things that are the top-of-mind discussion points of my life, Where is the gospel in here? Is it that it always ranks way down toward the bottom because I'm awkward or I don't want to embarrass anybody or I just don't know what to say about it or it's just really not that important to me? Or is it that you feel the compulsion in your heart because of the love of Christ for the lost people around you that you want to make sure that this guy, this gal, this friend, this family member, this coworker has heard about the truth of who Jesus is? Again, the temptation for our church and every church is that we move away from talking about the gospel because it includes things like repentance and sin and, and, and the death of the human soul, and that instead we deal with things that are just about you know, changing your behavior and being a, a nice and mannerly kind of person. Uh, one particular writer that I have a, uh, just love reading his stuff, his name is Dallas Willard, in a book that he wrote about the spirituality of our lives, he says this about this poor showing of the gospel that sometimes we give. He says, the gospel of sin management. So he means by that phrase, a message from the church that is basically about how to be a nicer person. The gospel of sin management has produced vampire Christians who just want Jesus for his blood and little else. It's just the life that we just want Jesus, just for His blood, the get-out-of-hell-free card, just get me over the threshold from death to life, but don't actually make my life change. I just want to make sure I don't go to hell. But we're witnesses to the truth, and our commission is to bear a witness, to carry it into the world that this is who Jesus is that He is the Messiah who suffered and died for our sins, dead and buried, risen from the dead, and He requires out of us a repentance, a changing of our lives, a transformation. And so we have to dig into the Word of God that we can be a witness as to what He said and who He is. And as you love God's Word, as you learn from it, as you obey it, then you will habitually live by it. So we are here to make disciples. We are here to be witnesses to the truth. And thirdly, a third commission that Jesus gives to us is in the the Gospel of John chapter 20, where I would just summarize it as that we are to be the people who live sent, if you will, Look at John chapter 20, verse 21. Here, uh, Jesus is risen from the dead. He has appeared to Mary Magdalene. And then on the first day of the week, while the disciples are gathered together in a locked room, Jesus appears among them. And he says in John 20, 21, Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. 
As the Father has sent me, I also send you. Think about the revolutionary moment that is happening. Jesus has appeared to his apostles for the very first time after his resurrection. He has just gotten up out of the grave, and this is the first moment that they are visibly seeing the risen Lord. There is no other moment in the life of the apostles where he is going to have more of their rapt attention than right now because he was just dead a few days ago. And now he has miraculously appeared in a room where all the doors are locked, and now there stands Jesus of Nazareth, their rabbi, their savior, their Messiah, the one that they had trusted in, but they saw crucified on a Roman cross. There is no other moment in these guys' lives where he's going to have more of their attention than right now. And so he can say anything. This is the point where they are, they are zeroed in on 100. And his word to them is not to unfold the mysteries of what's going to happen at the end of the world. It's not to tell them who the beast in the book of Revelation is. It's not an explanation of that whole 666 thing. He doesn't lay out doctrines for them. He says, I want you to understand, just like the Father sent me, I'm sending you. And he puts it into the very genetic fabric of the early church that you are a sent kind of people. Which means for us as modern Christians in a free society where we can build lots of stuff is that we have got to constantly press against the temptation to just be chaplains on a campus and move to being missionaries for the kingdom out in the world. The sedentary lifestyle of a comfortable and campus-oriented Christianity is a distortion of the biblical portrait of the mobilized and radical church that Jesus sent into the world. You and I don't have time just to hang out. We don't have time just to, to play tiddlywinks with our religious ideas. It is a day and an age where more and more people are lost in this world, and our commission is to go as far and as often and as passionately as Jesus did, which means a neighbor that is across the street that is dealing with alcoholism or a broken marriage or a rebellious teenager or the neighbor that's across the street that's got a big fat bank account and seemingly everything that he or she will ever want from one end of the societal spectrum to the other, all of them need Jesus and you and I are the ones that are sent to take Jesus to them. The going mission of the church is its natural state. The more that we live sent, the more we become like Jesus. So oftentimes we think of being like Jesus as simply being ethical and moral, just trying to find some kind of moral perfection, and then I'll be like Jesus. You, you want to really be like Jesus? Go. Get up and go. Go across the street. Go across the city. Go to the next community. Go to the next country. That's how we become more and more like Jesus, because he says, as the Father has sent me, so now I'm sending you. And the final one we find in Acts chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, and that is to be Spirit-filled. Amen? Amen? In Acts chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, 
Jesus has, once again, he has, uh, he has appeared to them. This is at the end of his appearances after his resurrection. He's getting ready to ascend back to the Father in heaven. And it says that the, uh, the, the disciples ask him this uh, historical theological question about when is he going to restore the kingdom to Israel. They want to know when is Israel going to rise in power again. It says in verse 7, he said to them, it's not for you to know times or periods that the Father has set by His own authority, but you, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now again, there's a lot in all of these passages that could be uh, picked apart and highlighted and exegeted, but this one idea, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You and I have this great opportunity to move from being religious service attendees to revolutionaries empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now, you may not think of yourself as a revolutionary. You like living a quiet life, keeping to yourself. I'm a little bit of an extrovert, you know, that has to live a little bit of an introverted life. Maybe you're an introvert that has to be a functional extrovert at times, but you kind of like to keep to yourself. You kind of like your me time. But you and I as Christians are called to be gospel revolutionaries, making trouble in the world for the grace of God. And the Spirit's presence in the life of a Christian is a miracle of galactic proportions. It is a, a doctrine that has persisted from the time that Jesus spoke about it all these 2,000 years that I fear that I and many others have become far too familiar with, that we think about, well, yeah, I'm filled with the Spirit. I got saved, and the Spirit indwelt me, and He sealed my salvation, and at any given moment, I can say to the Father in heaven in prayer, you know, would you fill me with your Spirit? And, and He does. It's a promise from Scripture. It's something that I can rely on. And we just, we just kind of trip through it. But pause for a moment and think about what Jesus has just <laughs> promised to His early disciples and what is promised to us as believers in Christ, is that a member of the Trinity of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not like the junior partner here. I mean, this is a member of the Godhead. This is God, the Spirit, comes to empower little old us. Like, I'm just made out of the dust, me, this little old Philip nation, born with a speech impediment, from Birmingham, Alabama, growing up on Camellia Road, going to Smith Middle School and Huffman High School, you know, five foot nothing, you know, 88 pounds soaking wet, just this one little kid. And, and God looks down through, through all of the channels of eternity to a guy like me, to a gal like you, to a guy like you, to a person who is, grew up where you grew up, who has the experiences that you have experienced, to be the one that he says, if you will accept me as your Lord and Savior, I will take the spirit of the living God, the one who was there at the creation of the world, the one who, rose, who raised Jesus from the dead, that same power will be alive in you. And too oftentimes, we just kind of pass by like, oh yeah, they got the Spirit, that was really cool, that must have been really neat. 
But instead, this is, a, this is a devastatingly wonderful idea that when God commissions us, when He says to go into the whole world, make disciples, witness to the truth, live in a sent kind of mentality, that we don't do it on our own strength and we don't do it with our own strategies to carry the gospel out into the world, but that we are carried into the world by the very power of the Spirit of God. It is the promised power for the completion of the commission. Aren't you glad it's not up to us? I mean, I've met me. I mean, I know me. And and we're relatively nice and intelligent people. Like, we could persuade people to do stuff and believe in things and attend here and do that and serve in this kind of way. But none of us have the power to actually change the human soul. But the Spirit of God, alive in you, bearing witness to the gospel that Jesus is risen from the dead, uh, being willing to be present in the life of the broken, the hurting, and the person who is saturated and soaked by sin, and offering life and grace and mercy then the Spirit of God takes root. Spirit of God begins to convict. Spirit of God begins to persuade. Spirit of God draws. Spirit of God is the megaphone when we are just a little peep in the background. And you, you're the one that is filled by the very Spirit of God to carry His good news to the people of Bradenton and Manatee County and Florida and the whole earth. Over the last kind of month and a half, we've asked you this question, and uh, I have, and a few others from this platform have asked you, who's your one? Who's that one person here locally that you are praying passionately about and that you are willing to actively share the gospel with? so that they can hear that there's a Savior. Who's your one can be answered with just regular human logic, but only can truly be solved by a gospel-packed witness from a Spirit-filled believer. And this morning, I want to invite you one more time to be that gospel-packed, Spirit-filled believer. I want you to have a life that is wrapped up in who Jesus is, not worrying about what's your next hobby, what's your next trophy, what's your next paycheck, uh, what's your next widget that you're going to make or thing that you're going to buy or place that you're going to go or thing that you're going to do, but maybe just that you would become consumed with the thing that consumed Jesus, to seek and to save that which is lost to sweep the house looking for the one lost coin, to search the countryside for the one lost sheep, to wait longingly for the one lost son. That is what must consume the heart of God's people and God's church. It is a mission that He doesn't actually need us at all for because He's God. But because He's God, He loves you so dearly and so desperately 
that He wants you to enjoy the great blessings of being present when a lost person comes home. Let's pray together.